Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello you and welcome to bonus partly political broadcast. Um, It is Friday morning. I have just watched my daughter smash porridge into her face repeatedly. Uh, And here you go for you. It's a bit of bonus Graham, as I mentioned in episode 118. Um, Obviously, if you've not heard episode 118, you might want to go back and do that first. Or if you heard it and you have absolutely no interest in yet more Graham Thompson from Greenpeace, then, well, um, I mean, this isn't very long list. So why not just play it on mute and then never tell me that you did didn't actually bother to listen to it and i'll just see the listener stats go up and look no one will be hurt by your beautiful beautiful lie <clears throat> anyway uh, what i mean to say is uh, when chatting to graham thompson from greenpeace who i interviewed for episode 118 um after the interview he told me all about some of his fascinating life as uh, an eco activist uh, and he's done lots of non-violent action um and been involved in shutting down petrol stations blocking runways and at one point sleeping on a chimney but not in a sort of santa claus way more in an excellent you know campaign against pollution way um there's also some very interesting chat about types of cars and the pollution they cause as well which i found really interesting so here's some of that for you it's only about 15 minutes enjoy that um have some bonus graham so, Graham, uh, when Googling you before interviewing you, um, I, I found that you've been uh, an eco-activist for quite some time. You've been involved in some quite interesting uh, direct action that's led to you being arrested quite a few times. Um, how how did you get into that? And, and can you tell me a bit more about some of those? Like, when Was it Shell that you you, you blockaded the stations for? Uh, yeah, um, Shell. And, uh, and also I used to do a lot of campaigning against ESSO. Um, back in the day. Um, I'm actually unusual as a direct activist in that um, I got involved via Greenpeace. Um, So I started off in a local Greenpeace group um, and I thought the idea of direct action was uh, really inspiring. Um, A lot of campaigning is kind of going to politicians and companies and almost begging, saying, oh, please stop doing this because it's a really bad thing. And direct action is to say, you know, well, please stop doing this thing because otherwise we will stop you. Um, is a much more empowering kind of sentiment uh, to campaign with. Uh, so uh, I joined 
joined Greenpeace, became a Greenpeace volunteer, Greenpeace activist, did Greenpeace actions, and they're extremely well organised. Uh, I mean, obviously, Greenpeace, uh, compared to other direct activists, Greenpeace uh, tend to be well-funded. We're a sort of relatively big organisation, some very skilled, experienced people, and we can afford all the right equipment, that type of thing. Um, so it's a great way to start doing direct action because you're doing it with almost this safety net around you for Greenpeace organisation. And then I started meeting grassroots direct activists and got involved with doing some of that. And obviously, that occasionally is just a bunch of mates, you know, four or five of you saying, hey, let's do this thing. And, and that's the level of organization and resourcing and funding, whatever you have, none. It's just you and some mates thinking this is a really good thing to do. Let's do it. Um, and so those types of actions um, uh, can be a little bit less well organized sometimes. <clears throat> but that's uh, that's how I got involved, uh, and the the petrol station actions, which uh, Greenpeace have done a couple of times, um, I found really inspiring. One of the, the first really inspiring things I did was a, an SO station closed down, um, and Greenpeace organised people into teams. I think of five people, and there were maybe twenty, thirty teams around the country, and each team w would go and close as many SO stations as they could. Um, and there was a, te a technique for doing this, which I probably shouldn't reveal in detail, um, but there, <laughs> there's a quick, safe way of basically flicking the switch on a petrol station so that it doesn't pump petrol and doesn't work anymore. Um, and it takes them quite a while, um, sometimes days, uh, to sort that problem out and get up and running again. Uh, so if you know about this, you can go and basically flick the switch on as many petrol stations as you can until uh, the police nab you and, and stop you from doing any more. Um, and again, it was it was very empowering. It was kind of, you know, and, and the fact that we were in little groups um, meant that you also had a, a, a kind of feeling of control and independence within that little group. Um, you know, when you're doing an action altogether, there's obviously people who, who have the plan and are organizing you, whereas this was more sort of self-organized. And, and that, was a, that was an inspiring thing to think, oh, you know, four people in a car and, and we're powerful. You know, this is, this is a, an interesting experience. Uh, and how many did you manage to shut down? Uh, well, me and my little team uh, in that one, I think we did um, 11. And that was, that was because the target was 10. And we thought, well, we'll do 11. Uh, <laughs> and we managed to do that without <laughs> getting arrested. Um, so that was, uh, that was really cool. And, and this was one team out of 20. Um, so not every team managed to do 11. Some of them got nicked after two or three. Um, but uh, across the country, you know, we closed a lot of a lot of SO petrol stations. And so what were some of the uh, because you, you sort of mentioned to me in your emails that you've been arrested quite a number of times. Was that one of the events where that happened? And can you tell me about any more? No, that one I managed to avoid, uh, avoid getting arrested. Um, my. Yeah, my direct action career, the first few years, went extremely well in terms of not getting arrested and not getting convicted. Um, and then it turned out that, that was just a lucky streak. <laughs> and then after that, I started getting arrested and convicted quite often. Um, but the British, the British justice system, deeply flawed though it is, um, has a certain respect for uh, protest. It's not just seen as a standard ordinary crime that should be treated as a standard ordinary crime. There is law, um, there's precedent within the British system that you should 
you know, give this a little bit more respect and, and think about it a bit more carefully rather than just treating it as vandalism or, um, or a normal crime. Um, and the police also, uh, I mean, they have been pretty unpleasant to protesters in, uh, on certain occasions. Uh, but if you compare the British police with police forces around the world, um, the British police is actually quite civilised when it comes to policing protest. Uh, and so we're lucky. We live in one of the best countries in the world uh, to protest and to take direct action um, in that our uh, police and legal systems uh, are a little bit more reasonable and sensible when it comes to dealing with it um, as, as opposed to others. I mean, obviously, the type of things that I do in Britain, you would probably be a little bit nervous uh, about doing in China or Russia or certain other countries or where the police have firearms and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, my arrest, I've, I've been arrested on runways a few times. That's my sort of speciality. I've been arrested on um, Nottingham East Midlands Airport runway, uh, Stansted and uh, Heathrow. Um, and... Uh, and also some power stations. Obviously, these are all climate-related protests uh, because uh, until recently, the power sector in Britain was the main climate issue, um, and that's now kind of transitioning to probably aviation being the main climate issue, the main source of greenhouse gases. Um, so, yeah, I did a lot of direct action on power stations and, and then um, a lot of direct action on runways. Um, I once camped at the top of a chimney for a week, which is an interesting experience <laughs> uh, and obviously got arrested and convicted for that one as well. Um, so on top of a, a, one of the massive kind of uh, power station chimneys? Uh, it wasn't the... one of the biggest ones. Um, it was probably about, and this is from memory because it was quite a few years ago, I think it was probably about seven or eight stories high, the chimney. Um, oh but it had, it had a little... Um, it has like a ladder, a back stretcher ladder, and a little kind of metal um, ledgy sort of thing. So it wasn't like I was clinging on with my fingernails. <laughs> we, we, you know, there was space to actually sit down. Um, and uh, yeah, and we brought all of our food and um, sleeping bags and whatever and, and, and stayed up there for a week. And that was, again, you know, it's an interesting, empowering experience as well as, you know, being a, a good way of sending a strong message um, both to the company and you know ideally to, to the wider public as well and uh, your sort of action on on uh, runways is that were you mainly sort of arrested for trespassing was it you know or was it health and safety because I guess being on a runway isn't a very safe place to be yes no that's very true um, when I've done runway occupations I've three of them um, there's there's various there is precautions which uh, which we take, and I would advise anyone else to take if they're considering doing a similar thing. Um, and one is is that uh, you go in when it's non-operational, so you you would go in airside, they call it, the the area where the planes are, which you're not supposed to be in. Um, you would go airside when there's a big gap between you entering the area and the next flight. And when, you know, when I say big gap, I don't mean five minutes, you know, I mean like an hour or more. Um, and so there's no risk of you encountering a, a plane landing or taking off. And the airport has plenty of time. Everyone has plenty of time to respond to your presence without panicking about anything. Um, so, yes, then, of course, they, they can't use the runway while you're on it. Um, and uh, that has quite a big impact, um, both 
on the operations of the airport and uh, again ideally sort of the public get to think about this issue a bit and uh, and it's controversial because of course you are blocking planes and therefore you are blocking some people from going on holiday or perhaps you know doing important useful things that they really need to do but i was going to say but we use that excuse to cover aviation generally we you know we pick on the most sympathetic reason for flying um, but of course the vast majority of flights are just leisure the vast majority of flights are, are people just going somewhere to have fun I don't object to fun but it's possible to have fun without flying um, and people should really give that some careful consideration before they, uh, before they opt for the flight mm, Absolutely and, and I mean it's you know things like with the new Heathrow runway that's being built that's everything shown that it, it being built is going to be terrible for the environment yet they're still going ahead with it so you know i think a lot of people are realizing that it's not a, it's not a good plan and i think they're becoming more and more aware that how damaging it is yeah i mean the forecast at the moment if the uk um sticks to its climate targets so we reduce our emissions in the way we say we're going to do, which is, is going to be challenging, but we're not doing badly compared to some other countries. Um, if we do, then in 2050, aviation will be producing half of our carbon budget. So of all the emissions that we're producing as a nation, half of them will come from aviation, everything else, you know, power production, transport, road transport, cement production, steel production, domestic gas heating, everything will have to fit in the other half. That's if we don't build the third runway Heathrow. Oh, wow. If we do build the third runway Heathrow, it's going to get tricky. Um, and when I say tricky, I mean impossible. So um, just to sort of end on a, on a perhaps a, a more positive note, I was going to say of all your of all your kind of direct action, what's been the best result that you've had for it? What's been the thing that you feel most kind of proud of? Has there been anything you've gone through and that's made a definite change? Uh, um, yes, I mean, it's difficult. Uh, a direct action it will be one tactic in a campaign. Um, and if you do a direct action that doesn't have a campaign attached to it, there's just a one-off unique event, it's unlikely um, to get you the change that you want. Um, sometimes a single intervention can, uh, can be quite powerful. I remember when um, the, uh, the Hudson report came out, which uh, you may not remember, but it was, um, it was a report into the government's behavior around uh, Dr. David Kelly and uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Mm. And basically a, a judge, Lord Hutton, was looking into how the government misbehaved. Um, and he came back with a report saying, no, the government had done everything absolutely honestly and straightforwardly, um, and the only people at fault were the BBC. And this was a bit of a transparent whitewash. <laughs> That's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Transparent whitewash. You understand why? <laughs> you understand what I mean? <laughs> Obvious whitewash. Um, and so, uh, me and some friends did a little uh, stunt, really, rather than direct action, where we dressed as judges and threw whitewash over the gates of Downing Street. Um, and that had no further campaigning before or after. That was a, a, a specific event that had, had nothing attached to it and, and no further sort of argument from us um it was it was just a, a one-off event but it meant that the hutton report was uh, the reporting of the hutton report was accompanied by a picture of judges whitewashing downing street 
um, and so it framed that report as the whitewash that it so clearly was, um, and changed the political narrative around that, uh, around the Hutton report. After that point, it was very difficult for anyone to refer to the Hutton report as if it was a significant investigation. It was, you know, before we did what we did, it was pretty obviously a whitewash, but we just sort of made that very, very clear and, and pushed it up the media agenda. And so that in itself was a, a very small direct action. The total cost um, of doing that uh, in terms of, you know, costumes and transport and logistics and whatever was uh, under £100. Um, and Most of that was paint, I guess, as well. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cost of paint's quite high, yeah. I also made a technical innovation, mixing white paint with lemonade. Exciting, oh, nice. exciting effect. But, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, and that was, I think that was a good example of, of a small, cheap, easy, direct action that really had a big, long-term political impact. So it can be done. It can be done. But, it, but generally they work better if they're attached to a long-term campaign. So, uh, thanks again to Graham for the chat. And don't forget to support this podcast by giving it a review or a donation, or look, more importantly, by just spreading the word and getting other listeners on board this noise train, which is more environmentally friendly than the noise car that other podcasters use. So, screw them and their noise cars. Uh, what in the hell is a noise car? An, oh, oh, hang on. An Audi O? Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll shut up now. It was it was a bonus. I'm, I'm too tired for a podcast today. Look, new episode will be out on Tuesday. As per always, who knows what will happen over the weekend? No one has any idea. David Cameron is uh, threatening to come back with his face like an upset balloon, which I suppose is maybe the sort of thing like, you know, when the only person who can lift a curse is the person who put it there in the first place. Who actually knows? But there you go. Uh, more stuff on Tuesday. Please subscribe and listen and like and donate and review and dance and dance and dance. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.